Thanks, Maddie, and thanks, Kathy. I always say that uh, when we're doing this live together, so I'll do it today as well. Great uh, reminders, too, from both of them. Uh, Maddie and Jazz, what a special year this is going to be for you as uh, God bless you with a little one, and so that's unique. Uh, brothers and sisters, I did ask you earlier to grab a pen out and maybe a pad or paper. I'd like to give you an exercise to do this week. I'd like you to write down 10, 20, 50, 100 things that you are thankful for. Kathy even mentioned that, and I think for all of us going through our current season, one of the ways to deal with what we're experiencing is to actually write down things we're thankful for. So if you could do that this week, hold on to it, come back to it, add to it, add more to it, because this, today's message is called 10,000 Reasons to Rejoice. 10,000 Reasons to Rejoice. What you'll notice in life is events in the past often put a marker on you. And 2020 is going to be a whole year that's going to shape our future. We don't know how yet, but it's going to shape every generation going through what we're going through at the moment. In years to come, maybe 10 or 20 years, some of our younger people who might be 15 or 20 will look back and say, you've got no idea what 2020 was like. And so I encourage you to write that down, to even write down how thankful you are for our teachers, our nurses, our schools. There's so many things that we can be thankful for and things that really shape us. Uh, there's things in my life that have shaped me over the years. I remember 8th of December 1980, I was at work in my office at Hurstville and my father rang and said, Ian, have you heard the news? And I said, no, Dad, what? He said, John Lennon has been shot. I can still picture that like it was yesterday, which is the phrase. Many, many events like that shape our lives. And we look back, and I still remember that. Uh, today uh, is my grandson's birthday. Uh, he's uh, young, and I think, well, I can't even see him today. Uh, 24th of July, 1992, it was a Friday. Rhonda had already gone to the hospital. We were waiting for the birth of another little child. Because we were expecting lots of things, I did the wise thing, as many of you fathers would do, I sent Luke and James, my sons, to bed fully dressed. Just so when the phone call came the following morning, we could go get up and go. Six o'clock, the phone rang. And it was the nurse saying, your wife has gone into labor, hurry up. And so quick as a flash, dragged the boys out, no time for breakfast, and off we rushed to the hospital. Um, things like that shape us and impact us. It's going to be really important for all of us that we write down things about this year. Week in, week out, moments that affect us. So I encourage you to, as we go through this quite amazing part of God's Word, and you already get the sense of where I'm going. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, help us be mindful of what you are doing in this world at this time. Help us always remember your grace to us and your call for us to rejoice. May it be so in Jesus' name. Amen. Rejoice. You may not feel like rejoicing. No matter where you are, and yet that is the call from the Apostle Paul. Uh, he has the Holy Spirit working in his life, shaping and changing him. And the words that Kathy spoke to us really echo what it means to be centered in Christ and be one of his children, to be Christ-like. For Paul, things like joy and prayer and thanksgiving are part of who he is, how he's connected to God the things that have shaped him. And so what does he say in verse 4 of chapter 4? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. 
And like me, you might be wondering, so why did he say it twice? Because I think we need to be reminded that no matter our circumstances, no matter what we find ourselves, the situation we find ourselves in, the call is to rejoice and to rejoice always. And this is not just a typical word to be passed over like, oh, that's just a Christian platitude. That's just Ian saying that. That's just the Apostle Paul saying that. Yeah, look, what would he know about hard times? Has he ever been, has he ever been self-isolated? Has he had to experience hardship? Uh, well, you may realise he has. And in fact, he's writing this letter to the church at Philippi from prison. He knows about hardship. He knows about persecution. He knows about the people of God who also suffer. And so he writes to them. And, the, and, and the, this word rejoice is a key part of this letter as well. Rejoice. Uh, he says in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 18, So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. An old theologian, Karl Barth, said this about rejoicing and joy. He said, joy in the letter of Philippians is like a defiant, nevertheless, nevertheless rejoice. It is the opposite of a thankless, complaining human nature. It's like, I'm going to rejoice no matter what goes on. Uh, And we should never forget Paul's own experience in that way. He says it twice, rejoice. Again, I say, rejoice. Uh, So his, his words Allow for no loopholes. Always. Always rejoice. So no matter, no matter how you're going, no matter how long you might be isolated, no matter how your pantry and your food supplies are going, no matter how restricted our movements have become and may yet change again, how difficult the experience of 2020 might be for many of us, how painful How humiliating, how hard, how difficult. The word of the Lord is direct and specific. Rejoice. Rejoice. And don't do it with a sad look on your face. Do it with a, a yay, God, you are good to me. You're good to us. Find your joy in the Lord no matter your circumstances is the call. And this joy that Paul speaks about is a direct consequence of our relationship with God. It comes from what he's done in the past, from what he's doing even now. And again, can I uh, say it about Kathy touched on that. Lessons we are learning today about what God will do in the future. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, there's a great verse there. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. If any of us need strength today, if any of us need to be reminded about how we're going to survive Well, guess what, brothers and sisters? It's joy. It's rejoicing in what God has done. And those who rejoice will have a greater sense of peace with God and therefore more able to deal with heartache and pain and troubles that affect us all and even the body of Christ. A Christian joy comes no matter our circumstance. It's a part of who we are. And rejoicing isn't just an option, it's a must, it's a necessity. Uh, And it's in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. And so right now you're thinking, well Ian, how is it possible? How can I, with all that's going on, and Rhonda and I sitting at home watching the news, you know it's the same for you, 
every news feed, every station, we are being bombarded in ways we've never experienced before. How do you now find joy? How can you now just rejoice in what God is doing? Psalm 40 helps me tremendously. And you may even know the song that comes from it. David said this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Maybe you need to be listening and singing more to help you through this current crisis. So why do I have 10,000 reasons to rejoice? Well, right now I can see a few of my brothers in the auditorium who are helping us do this, so that gives me the first and foremost reason. The Lord is near, the Bible tells me I can rejoice in that. Uh, worrying doesn't help. I know my future is certain. I know the sun will come up tomorrow. I know the Lord has kept me from harm. Uh, he provides for me and you daily. I have food in my house. I have petrol in my car. Guess what? My wife still loves me even after 39 years. Uh, God has placed people in my paths that has enriched my life year in, year out. I am a child of God. Uh, my list is endless and possibly it wouldn't take much to get to 10,000 reasons or even more. What about you? What are you thinking about right now? Uh, nearly, I can hear some of the older members right now singing that old campfire song, and I'm sure it's a favourite of Langdon Stewart, who's here this morning. I've got joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Where is the refrain? Feel free if you'd like to burst out in song right now in your home as your children look at you and think you truly are strange, which is quite possible as well. So in these days of woe, in these days of heartache, what is the command? To rejoice. No exceptions, no muted praise, no ifs and buts, no mumbling under one's breath. We may rejoice, we can rejoice, we must rejoice. And we must do it so others can see it. And of course, the second thing that flows out of that is that wonderful word, gentleness. Let your gentleness be evident to all. It follows from the rejoicing. The Lord to whom uh, those that we belong to wants us to find joy in him. At the same time, demonstrate gentleness to each other and gentleness to others around us. It's a wonderful call about these times and we're experiencing that. You know, when we go to the shops, who would have thought that going shopping would ever be full of excitement? That going to Woolworths would be like going on an absolute adventure. Lights, people, colours. That was on Friday. It's changed now. It's limited to how you can connect. But how we demonstrate our heart attitude to others is crucial. And it's directly related to the joy that we experience in the Lord. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. It's like you see uh, in 1 Peter 2 when Peter writes about Jesus. We read this, 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 23. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. That is our attitude. 
Let your softness be known to all at such a time as this. Uh, and this is key. This is key to tension in family life. I don't know how you guys are going in your household, having maybe husbands and wives around more and kids. This is key in church life to avoid arguments. This is key in community life to, in, to avoid arguments. Let your gentleness, your softness be shown to others. Why? Because the Lord is near. And how do you live? How do you live then without this anxiety that many are experiencing? Through prayer and thanksgiving. Because the Lord is near, I don't have to be anxious. Because the Lord is near, I can rejoice. I can be gentle. He reduces my anxiety. And I can rejoice in what he is doing and what he has done. In all the circumstances of life. And let everyone see that. that that's so crucial at this time. Let everyone see how you are responding. Talk about it. Speak about it. Demonstrate in particular to those in your household. It's very important. You know, how do you do this? Well, when you are angry, maybe, about something that's happened to you or someone's done something, and you find it hard to find the words to express that anger, what do you do? One writer said, in case of difficulty we are faced each and every day, we often say, I can't, I can't forgive, I can't be gentle. But in Christ, we can. Because it's him who gives us our strength to do this. And so we need to take a grip on him and to understand what he's doing in our lives and our hearts. Uh, I think this is why Paul pushes it further in verses 6 to 7 and says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, uh, thanks, and, we, and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is more than don't worry, be happy. This is far more than that. Uh, Paul is experiencing danger at every turn. The people in Philippi are experiencing danger at every turn. Hunger, heartache, persecution. Uh, they had plenty of things to worry about. But what did they do? They were encouraged by Paul to rejoice, to be, to be thankful uh, Rick Warren made this comment. He said, gratitude acknowledges uh, a wonderful key thing in our life. Gratitude produces generosity. It changes us. Paul is saying, have no anxiety about what's happening. One of the lessons I've learned, and my parents taught me this, is Ian, don't worry about things that are out of your control. Don't worry about things out of your control. And it's so true. Uh, you know, none of us right now can do anything about the circumstance, but we can pray. We can give thanks. We don't have to be anxious. We can encourage others because of his grace and his strength and his insight and his patience and his love and all those things. And we can lean back on him. We can know that. Lean on him. Lean in him. Uh, and so in everything, every situation, present our request to God and the result is peace. And this is the peace that often we'd say to our 8 o'clock service that passes understanding. The old saints know that. Um, I get the sense that Paul, as he writes, his life, even in prison, even in hard times, was accentuated and highlighted by a thankful heart. Uh, he could not imagine, it seems to me, a Christian life where he wasn't thankful. I wonder about you. And don't forget, of course, uh, joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy. Oh, it's number two. And what comes from that in God's people 
and the surrounding community is peace. So in these challenging days, the church who seeks to rejoice, who responds to heartache with rejoicing, who demonstrates gentleness to all around them, who commands others not to worry, this church will be a light to its city. Uh, and we see that in so many stories of those who have gone before us. Uh, we move to reflecting now on verses 8 and 9. What, what do we learn then from moving from that point? Paul says in verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, it's like there's a conclusion point now towards the end of this little letter. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. These are six things unique to what the Apostle Paul is saying. And we don't see such a line in Scripture in other places. And he goes further because he puts that part of his reflection in perspective. In verse 9 he says, Look, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And again, the God of peace will be with you. Uh, it's a wonderful, the word is exhortation, encouragement. Uh, this whole promise of God abiding with us and giving us peace. Uh, whatever is true, whatever is admirable, think about these things. It's so important right now in our season of separation, in our season of isolation, to think about those things that are helpful and appropriate and admirable and pure and lovely. You see, I actually notice as I hang out with a whole range of people and talk to people, uh, one of the problems in our society is often we have a pessimistic outlook. And maybe even right now as you face an uncertain future, three, six months, who knows how long this is going to go for. Maybe you'll notice that you're becoming far more pessimistic. If you haven't noticed that, my guess is those you live with have started to notice that and may have a word or two to say to you. But often we find our whole attitude is heading in the wrong direction. Imagining what could happen, what should happen, why is this happening? Um, and often we start to think about the things that don't help and actually think about the things that add stress to our lives. So if you want to change your mind, start reading, watching, listening to different things. Uh, whatever you think about and reflect upon, that's what you become. Wherever you are headed, if you want to change where you're headed, then you've got to change what you are thinking about. Uh, and that's why... To think of things that are true and pure and lovely and admirable is so key. Um, Paul writes in such a way that he doesn't just want the church at Philippi and the members of the church, like the members of Fig Tree. Again, can I say good morning to you all? It, to be a certain way, he realises this has a big impact in the world we live in. Chapter 2, verse 14, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine like stars in the sky. Philippians 2 verses 14 to 15. Isn't this what the Jesus campaign is all about? Isn't this what Word One to One is about, about us shining as stars in this city right now? Maybe we haven't stopped enough to reflect on God's Word. And the consequences is that we can't express joy or peace or rejoice 
or live a life of gentleness, softness, to think on things. Because the Word of God, actually, we don't allow it to sink deep into our hearts and our minds. But guess what? Now we do. Now we really do. Because we aren't getting out as much as we used to. And so remember that great hymn, May the mind of Christ my Saviour live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say. And then just to conclude, he comes up with this most amazing thought. Really, uh, verse 11 to 13, I'm going to refer briefly to verse 10. But the word you need to think of as we think about rejoicing, as we think about reflecting, and here it is, it's the word contentment. Are you content right now? What are you lacking? Uh, What more do you want? Uh, Paul writes, he's so thankful for the gift he's received in verse 10, but he doesn't want to labour at that point, and I'm not going to labour that point. He moves on to his concluding thoughts for this this, uh, process. He speaks of the gift he's received. He speaks about how thankful he is. He also speaks in such a way that he's not tied into it. He says this in verse 11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know, I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. Now, brothers and sisters, this is not the stiff upper lip. This is not, Ian, just be stoic and just put up with it. No, it's far more than that. It's because Paul is in Christ, he can say this. It's because he's in Christ, he can rejoice. It's because he's in Christ that he can say, I'm content. I've learned to be content. I remember Don Carson a long time ago saying, don't get caught up with the word secret. It's because he's connected with Christ that he can understand and live a life no matter what the circumstances are. Which is why he concludes with that, must, that verse that's often misquoted, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Uh, just in case you're wondering, I can't play the guitar. Uh, just in case you're wondering, I can't put a square peg in a round hole. It's not like that. I've often heard this verse misquoted. Paul is saying Christ is sufficient for me, no matter the circumstance. He is a man of Christ. He's connected to Christ. He says, I know how to be satisfied in my circumstances, whether I'm in need, whether I have plenty. You see, we are not born content. We are not born in a situation where we say, okay, we've got our act together. No, we have to learn. And we're always looking for more. I love the story of a pious man uh, who puts a sign in his house one day and he said this. He said, I will give this house to any man who can prove to me that he's content. A little while uh, passes and someone comes knocking at the door. And he said, I saw the sign at the front and I want to claim this house as my own. He said, he was perfectly content. And the man asked, said, well, what do you mean you're perfectly content? He said, I have everything I want. I have all the possessions and all the money in the world that could satisfy me. I am perfectly content. And the owner of the house, of course, looked at him and said, well, what do you want with the house? We always want a little bit more. Those words from Matthew 16. What good does it do any of us if we gain the whole world and yet forfeit our soul? Both poverty and wealth are demanding. 
Both poverty and wealth challenge us. Um, don't complain about our current circumstances. Contentment is key. Contentment is not having all that you want. Contentment is only wanting what you have. Contentment is not wanting more. It's being happy with what you have. That is the key in that way. And so as you think about that, as you start to process about what are the reasons I'm joyful for? What are the many, many reasons I could write down now? I want you to listen to this song to help you reflect on God's goodness to you.